A popular Outcast production. Welcome to another episode of the Portable Power Podcast, the only mobile game podcast pushing to add an extra three Ps to its name to stand for pierogies, pizza, and palpitations. I'm Kevin Seibert, and with me is... Mark Matters. And Emrys Smith. We got some games to review for you tonight, but first, before we do that, Emrys, how are you doing? I am in great shape. Great. That's... Yeah. Great is great. It's great. That's why I use that word. To emphasize the greatness. Are you drinking anything tonight? I have some delicious chai tea with sugar and cream. That's good. It's good you're stepping away from water because we actually got a one-star lower on Daniel's review for us on iTunes because it said, too much water. <laughs> Which cracked me up. <laughs> That's funny. because <laughs> It's totally an IGN reference. That's hilarious. Their review of Pokemon... We talked about this on our episode. Yeah. They, they knocked... They knocked who knows how much off the review score. The minus thing was just too much water, which I understand why they did it, but there's a much better way they could have worded that. Like they could have said, traversing the world is a bit of a chore. Fine. But no, too much water. <laughs> <laughs> so Emrys, uh, what are you playing that's not for the show? The only thing, the ruler of my world, the beginning and end of my day is Hearthstone. It's embarrassing. All right, well, question of the week. If you could erase one video game from history, what would it be and why? Hearthstone. <laughs> <laughs> I would erase Hearthstone. Why would you erase it? It's just a huge time and money sink, and it has really good production value, so I feel good about spending that much time and money on it. Okay. <laughs> Not so good that you wouldn't go back in time and erase it from existence. Yeah, yeah, I would erase it in a heartbeat. Mark, how are you doing tonight? Um, increasingly more tipsy. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like you must be drinking something then. Hey, Segway, yes. This is Drake's Brewing Company out of San Leandro, California. I used to live there. Um, it's their Hopocalypse double IPA. Um, 9.3% alcohol, over 100 wow. IBUs. What's an IBU? I'm not up on this beer speak. Okay, it's an international bitterness unit. It's basically wow. the amount of hops. Well, it's certainly how bitter the beer is. So, okay. I'm trying to I was trying to think of something super like general, like Oh, dogfish head, dogfish head, 60 minutes. So their stuff's pretty well hopped. They're probably in the above 50 IBUs. Anything above 100 is like crazy. Like super wow bitter it like crosses over the bitter boundary into like either like floral or citrusy or something like that i've had i've had one that's super hoppy uh international bitterness units into the stratosphere and it just tasted like straight grapefruit juice like it didn't even taste like beer but i don't know a lot about it so i'm probably sounding really stupid to people that like brew beer and stuff well we're not a beer brewing podcast so you're forgiven there's not a lot i'm an expert on so 
Forgive me. <laughs> Would you say that you're an expert on whatever it is you're playing right now that's not for the show? Oh my gosh, your segues are amazing today. I have been playing Final Fantasy VI. There it is. <laughs> you mean your favorite game of all time? My favorite game of all time. Um, what happened was somehow my wife got pregnant. And then <laughs> like, <laughs> and then a couple days ago, she's like, hey, we should probably go to the hospital. And I'm like, okay, cool. And then I didn't grab my 3DS. I grabbed my Game Boy Advance and popped in Final Fantasy VI because I knew we were going to be hunkering down for the long haul. But turns out she was pretty far along. Baby came earlier in number of days than expected. And she was not in labor for long at all, like seven, eight hours. And then by the time I left the hospital, I had just beaten Ultros for the first time. And I really feel like it's a statement on how our healthcare system is broken. They're kicking us out of the hospital, and I'm at least, at least I should have at least been to the floating continent. So, um, <laughs> thanks, Obama. <laughs> Congratulations on the birth of your second child. Thank you. Yeah. She's a pink potato right now. There's not a lot going yeah. on there, but she's pretty cute. All right, question of the week. If you could erase one video game from history, what would it be and why? Grand Theft Auto 3. Why? I'm sure it did a lot of great things for open world games and stuff like that. It was the first game of its kind that I took notice of. Why I want to erase it, though, is it opened the door for like the mainstream to embrace this like vulgarity in games and just this nastiness of video games that's still around today. That game can suck it, and if you like it, I'm sorry, but it kind of has ruined mainstream gaming, in my opinion. Isn't sucking at how you restore your health in that game? <laughs> well, <laughs> by having someone else do it to you, yes. What are you drinking, Kevin? I'm drinking a Harpoon UFO Big Squeeze Shandy. What? <laughs> they're, they're in Boston, Massachusetts. Well, it's a Shandy, which is basically like equal parts beer and fruit juice. In this case, it's grapefruit juice. Oh. So oh, wow. I was, you know, I was drinking too many IPAs. I wanted to try something different. And I don't know. I kind of wish I was drinking an IPA. Oh. <laughs> it's fine. It's just, uh, it's not really for me. At least you could say you tried it. Yeah. I really like grapefruit juice, but I really don't like IPAs. So I don't know. Well, you would you would probably like this shandy. IPAs are like sometimes just straight up bitter, and even the ones that taste like grapefruit juice, are, it's still kind of like well, it's like hints of grapefruit juice. But this is like this is actual grapefruit juice in the beer. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I don't need that. I'm sorry. It sounds tasty to me. <laughs> what I'm playing right now that's not for the show. I've only actually been playing old games. I got back into. Majora's Mask only for a little bit longer, and the day cycle stressed me out, and I want to go back to it at some point, but I haven't in about three weeks now. Uh, so I've been playing Mega Man 3 for the NES, and Zelda 2 also for the NES, both of them on their original cartridges on my original NES. So, Emrys, wow. what's that called? Hipster bullshit. Yes, sir. We approve of it, though. That's what we're all about here on the Portal Power Podcast. Indeed. I'm actually amazed that your console still works and that, like, the cartridges are all in functioning order. Um, I mean, not all of the cartridges are, but my favorite ones are. Like, you know, Mega Man 3 still works pretty well. I had a glitch on it, like, when I was in the middle of a dock robot fight, but I just reset it and punched in a password and I was ready to go back. Dude, my NES works better than my PS2. Seriously. There's, like, fewer <laughs> moving parts. My NES works better than my Wii U. 
Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. That's not a lie either. I know. And what's weird is, like, my batteries still work on some of my old NES games. My Zelda battery still works. My Zelda 1 battery doesn't. My Zelda 2 battery still does. That's so weird. Yeah. They literally don't make them like they used to. Mm-hmm. Definitely not. And if I could erase one video game from history, I would probably choose Battletoads. Oh, that's, you're mean. <laughs> so are the Battletoads. I know. I'm the worst. I never saw what everybody else saw in that game. Like, people were super into it, and I tried to play it, and I was like, oh, it's a version of Ninja Turtles 2, the arcade game, with horrible <laughs> controls. It's weird because, like, I feel like I've only played this game once or twice, and I'm going on memories that are 20-plus years old at this point. I remember it. The graphics weren't great. Mm-hmm. I remember the, f- the, the Toads, which they, I think they're actually frogs. The way I don't know. They walk weird, or they run weird, or something. There's something weird about their movements and the controls. And then on top of that, the game's just crushingly, brutally difficult. Yeah, but like I felt like a lot of what made the game difficult was like flawed perspectives. Yeah. And bad controls. When I'm fighting a controller, I don't find a difficult game to be appealing. I just find it to be maddening. Yeah, I understand. And that's not to say, like, this maddening as in the sort of game Dude Bros play. (laughs) John Maddening. Yes, that's what I was getting at. (laughs) Before we get into our first round of reviews, I'm going to quickly go over the uh, fallout of the Mega Man 3 Amiibo fiasco. (laughs) Now, I was pretty mad at the end of last episode, but seriously, the day after we recorded, I got a text message on my phone saying that GameStop had gotten in their Mega Man Amiibos. You know how they said they weren't going to text or call or anything? But you didn't get it from your from the employees of that store, did you? I did. Oh, I thought you got it from our friend who's an insider at the company. Oh, I did. He texted me first, and then, like, 30 minutes later, they sent me a text. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, so I, I went in that night, and it was a girl behind the counter. I think there's only one girl who works at this particular store. And there were a couple people in line in front of me, and she was laughing and joking around with them. And I stepped up to the counter, and I handed her my pre-order ticket, and I said, I'm the Mega Man Amiibo guy. (laughs) And her demeanor noticeably shifted. That's awesome. I took my Amiibo, I left, and I just... I like I hope that at least somebody from that store listens to this podcast because I want them to know my Mega Man amiibo is still in its package on my coffee table just to spite you all. <laughs> it's actually just because my Wii U gamepad is broken right now, so I haven't been using it. Oh, okay. You don't have an amiibo shelf like some people? No, I don't have a shelf. I keep them all on my coffee table. <laughs> oh, that seems so dangerous. Mm-hmm. It I took my son to Toys R Us and they had two there. And so I ended up buying one myself because my amiibo rules, I made up amiibo rules and I even texted these to my sister because she wanted to know <laughs> if you had, she wanted to know if you had um, purchased yours, if you had actually gotten your pre-order because she found him. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, Kevin's good. Don't worry about it. I said, yeah, I'm, I, but I am looking for these. I was like, they're pretty, they're probably, you're probably not going to find them. And I was like, and here are my amiibo rules. <laughs> Number one is do not pay more than retail price. I'm willing to wiggle on that if I have to pay for my sister to ship one that I want really badly to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Other than that, no. I am not paying $20 plus for an Amiibo. I'm not paying the $88 that the Villager Amiibo is currently going for on Amazon. Um, yeah. <laughs> my second rule is I only buy the ones I really want. And then 
after that, I have to come across them in the wild. No special hunting trips or anything like that. Like, it just happens. I have to happen to be at the same place at the same time and let fate guide me instead of, like, me just going to 27 different stores to find, you know, Captain Falcon or whatever. Yeah. You'll never find him. I know. He is out of print. So, suck me, Nintendo. (laughs) (laughs) Do you take back any of what you said in our first installment of Make Kevin Angry? No. Okay. I take back nothing. <laughs> I I think that it was some of the worst customer service I've ever seen. Mm. And I will not be going back to at least that GameStop store. Wow. Okay. Yeah, they can No, they they can suck it. It's better to go to a GameStop store where perhaps you know somebody. You mean a certain fellow whom we all like quite a bit? I I I'm not going <laughs> to name names. How about we head into reviews then? Okay. Mark, you want to get us started? Yes. I'm going to apologize in advance. I am not good without show notes, and I did not have show notes this episode because babies took precedence over all. So, that being said, I am reviewing Card Crawl for iOS. It's $2 on the App Store. This was developed by, apparently, a single guy named Arnold Rowers. Card Crawl is a RPG-esque card game. I don't know how else to describe it. You, You sit down in this tavern, and what's cool is, like, there's this really great atmosphere to the game where there's all these ambient sounds and stuff, like torches burning and like little noises in the background and glasses clinking and stuff like that. And if you, especially if you're wearing headphones, it really kind of feels like you're in this like old tavern. You go to play your game, you sit down at the counter with this big armored cow-looking dude. And these cow-looking dudes are in like every game now, I swear. It started with like Dragon Age Inquisition, where they had like this new race of like horned cow dudes. And I've been seeing them in a bunch of games. There was this game for iOS called Heaven Strike that Square Enix did where there was cow dudes. And anyway, your one and only opponent in Card Crawl is, I'm going to call him Cow Dude. He has a deck of cards in his hand, and he deals out four at a time. And on your side, there are also four cards, but it's a lot different. His cards are random, and they're drawn from the deck. Your cards, you more have, like, spaces for cards. One of those spaces is taken up by your avatar card. And that avatar has a certain number of hit points... Your other three slots are for your two hands and for your bag, and your bag can only hold one card. So what will happen is he'll draw four cards, and just for instance, right now I booted it up, and there are three enemies and one potion. So what I have to do is there's a very good chance when you get drawn your first hand, you could die because you don't have enough hit points. I don't certainly have enough hit points this round to take all these hits. I could could definitely grab the potion or whatever and, and heal, but... I, I still don't even know that it's enough. Now, what you can do, though, is sacrifice a few hit points to get a new hand drawn by him. So in this particular hand, I have a sword, a shield, and then some enemies. So you will drag one of the cards he dealt to, say, the sword, and if it has fewer hit points than the number on the sword, that enemy is dead. If it has more points than the number on the sword, you can drag it to the shield, and the shield will defend the remaining hit points, but if there are still points left of the enemy, you have to drag it over your avatar card, and that is how you yourself lose hit points. That's the very basics of the game, and I hope that makes sense. Again, I'll praise the game for its atmosphere. It plays great, it looks great, it's really cool. I 
I'm kind of disappointed there's only one enemy to face. You're always fighting Cow Dude. He never has any different AI or different tricks or anything like that? No, he always has the same deck shuffled in a different order. It's only a $2 game, so I'm not going to complain that much, but it, I am going to not recommend anyone download it until future updates where the developer has said there will be more opponents, more cards, etc., etc. So I think this game is amazing and it has potential. Don't download it yet. Put it in your wish list on your, on your app store and wait. I will praise it also for the art direction. The game looks great. The cards look great. I love the art on the cards. It's sort of that modern look that a lot of artists are doing right now that's sort of like adventure timey, but it, it works. The monsters look cool and stuff like that. But again, there are only so, there's only so many cards in that deck. You're going to fight the same, say, five monsters. Um, you're going to see the same three or four swords, the same three or four shields. There are some unlockable spells and buffs and stuff like that you get by basically unlocking achievements or trophies or whatever you want to call them. But it only makes you better at the game, which by beating the game, you just have to get through the entire deck and your, and your avatar card survives. If I can beat the game without unlocking any of these things, I'm not really inclined to keep playing the game to unlock those things to beat the game better because it's more fun to beat the game being underpowered, I think. So yeah, it's, it's pretty limited in that regard. One play through the game, and you're going to have seen pretty much all of it. The cool thing is you can play through the game probably five minutes, play through an entire deck, but I don't see myself picking it up for a while, at least until there's a few updates. I want to see more enemies. I want to see more cards. I want to see different taverns. Like, the game um, Knights of Pen and Paper did this really well, where, like, it was a premium game, so you, you pay. There are no microtransactions or anything like that. And you can unlock stupid stuff like, oh, there's a new table. Oh, you're... Your guy has a new hat. Oh, there's all this superficial stuff. Not important, and in most games, I'm like, oh, this is like horse armor and oblivion. But like, <laughs> I think in this game, it makes all the difference. A, a few subtle tweaks to the aesthetics would go a long way. Because it's a really fun concept. I really like the game, and I, I, I want more, to be honest. So yeah, that's the basics of my review. That's about it. I recommend it. It's only $2. I can't not recommend it for $2, but I recommend waiting. All right, well, Emrys, are you ready to go and talk about Steambirds? Yes, sir. is a great little game for iOS and Android. It is a turn-based aerial dogfighting strategy game, which is by um, Spry Fox LLC. The premise is that you are in a steampunk alternate reality where everything is nuclear-powered, including planes. Or I guess they're steam-powered. I'm not sure. They have jets on them. They're super planes. You have an aerial arena where you're set up to battle other people's planes. It has really cool controls because all of the controls are you have your plane has a little directional token and you drag the token around the map which makes a line behind it from the token to your plane and your plane will follow that line. Then your plane will shoot at any plane that crosses in front of it. It's all about maneuvering your pieces around this map 
to outflank your enemy. You can't fly directly straight on to an oncoming plane because you'll both shoot each other and you'll go down. It becomes a lot about positioning. Each plane has a special ability. Like some of your planes can become invulnerable for a move. So you use that plane to draw the fire of the enemy planes while your guys come around from behind. And some planes can move really far. It's uh, really strategic. And um, there are all different kinds of objectives. Oh yeah, here's another special ability, is being able to reverse. Like most planes, you have to go, you have to change direction really slowly and go the long way around, but some planes can just flip in midair so they're facing the opposite direction. And, and every time you use a special ability, it goes on cooldown. The next turn, you have to do a normal move. So you want to be careful about if you use your shielded guy to cut in front, you have to get him out of harm's way the next turn. And there are all different kinds of objectives that you're fighting against, like there's big blimps and weird aerial turrets and other planes. Some of them are like big bombers and some of them are other fighters like yours. And there's really a, there, it's incredibly tactical and your planes can take a certain amount of damage. They start smoking and catch on fire. Some of the enemy planes will spit poison out behind them. How does poison work? It just lingers in the air for a turn, so if you fly through it, you take damage. Does it damage the plane or the pilot? It's just the plane. They're unpiloted planes? Is this a dystopian future, like Thomas the Train? <laughs> it's not clear if the planes have pilots or not. I'm assuming they do have pilots, but it's not really important for the gameplay. It's like an acid mist. It eats away at the hull. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Okay. I got really hung up on that for a sec. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. My favorite thing about this game is how simple the controls are, but how deep the tactics are. Because it controls really well with just a touch screen. You just tap the little token and drag it around. And then if you want it to be a special move, then there are like the options are just right there. And then when you've programmed in all your moves, you just end your turn and it performs for you. Being able to control and like maneuver around the enemy is really satisfying and sometimes really difficult. The graphics are awesome. The planes are very richly detailed uh, and the background map has it has this like great texture quality of like World War II aerial elevation maps with a big grid you can zoom in and out on it. The different plane types have a lot of characters. It's always clear what you're fighting against. The big blimps are really exciting to swarm against with your squadron of fighters. Overall, I think the color palette is really gorgeous. Um, it uses oranges and greens and like reds and blues that really pop out in a distinctive way. The music and sound effects are also really cool too. Overall, it's, uh, it's a really great strategy game, and it's a um, really good turn-based game on the mobile platform. And I think turn-based strategy games are underrepresented. I do tend to prefer them, and I, I really only get them, like, once every great while, whenever a Fire Emblem game comes out. R.I.P. Advance Wars. <laughs> yeah. I have this theory that this whole Nintendo moving into mobile phones, that we're going to see an Advance Wars on the mobile phone. 
Oh my god. That's my weird, like, terribly, like, I'm ready for it to be wrong prediction that I want to be right. I would buy the shit out of that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, with, like, advanced multiplayer? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think they're probably <laughs> not going to do that for a mobile game. At least not at first. Yeah, I, I think I think that it will take like at least a couple of crushingly successful games before Nintendo actually takes mobile seriously. Yeah, I think we're gonna see like Doctor Mario and like probably that Puzzles and Dragons games, probably a port of that, and then some sort of Pokemon companion. Oh, I thought they already have like a Pokedex on the App Store. Oh, maybe. I'm bummed about Nintendo doing mobile games, but I'll definitely play at least the first game they make. Anyway. I think it's them sucking the dicks of their shareholders and not paying attention <laughs> to like what their fans actually want. No, you're 100% right. But you can't keep a business afloat focusing on your dwindling fan base. So I get it, yeah. but it's just dumb. And I think it's the wrong... It's, it's going to make Nintendo less special. Yeah, I I do agree with you. At least right now, you have to buy Nintendo hardware to play a Mario Party game, and I could see them very easily starting to transfer, like, at least Mario Party or something over to a mobile format. Right, and you can't sell those games for $40, 50 $60 on a mobile platform. Right. So something has to suffer there, and that's why... I, that's a big part of why I think this is really sad. Yeah. But, I mean, at the same time, they also announced that they have another console in development, which is not surprising to anybody. I'm sure that console went in development the day that Wii U launched. Probably before. No one should be surprised by that. No, but they've been doing gimmicks every console generation now for the last mm. two. Like, what do you think the gimmick's going to be on this one? Sometimes the rumors are right with Nintendo. Sometimes they're way out in left field. Everyone's talking about this unified platform. I don't know if it's two consoles or a console that splits into two parts, that it's a portable platform and a home console in one. Mm -hmm. That's the only inclination I have. I mean, I don't really see where, they're, where else they're going to go. Well, that's the same theory I had. It seems pretty likely, especially with um, that Mario versus Donkey Kong game that just came out being for 3DS and Wii U. Yeah, but that's a common tactic in a lot of games. I mean, with PlayStation 4 and Vita... It's pretty common for games to be crossed by. At least they're downloadable indie titles and stuff like that. That's just Nintendo catering to what people's demands, which is, I mean, it's in this case, it's good. It's nice. Well, there's no reason to not have that game on both. Yeah, if you're developing the exact same game with, you know, similar coding for two consoles, why the hell not? I don't know. We were talking about airplanes, though. <laughs> I kind of think that um, Nintendo's level of polish and quality control is going to um, single them out in the mobile gaming market that would be amazing like they're not just gonna push out another you know match three puzzle game with in-app purchases unless it's something really special yeah i was just thinking like oh square enix has has put out mobile games so i'm like oh but square enix is not nintendo and their games are a cut above i would have to say like squares games but like they're still very formulaic and they're very much catering to those masses that are used to these specific experiences i hope nintendo moves the medium forward there's just no way they can they can put out some of the same games you're not going to see mario 64 on your phone because it can control like a piece of crap 
I'm, I'm just hoping they move things forward and, or at least focus what they're doing with the controls specifically. Hey, before we continue, are you guys hearing like a really bad buzz? No, but I have one. <laughs> um, I have to run now, though. All right. Good night. Night. Did you did you finish your review? No, you didn't. You didn't give you your score. Oh yeah. Uh, I give my score would be <laughs> it would be four Snoopy Red Baron kills <laughs> out of five. <laughs> that sounds positive. Yeah. I I'm docking at a couple points because while it has a campaign. It doesn't really have anything beyond that, so you just kind of you kind of play through it once, and then it's over. This month, I'm talking about. Kirby Canvas Curse for the Nintendo DS. It was developed by HAL Laboratory and released on March 24th, 2005, so by the airing of this episode, the 10th anniversary of its, of its release will have already passed, which is kind of nuts if, when you think about the original DS came out like more than 10 years ago now. I know, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's... I think that makes me feel older than other things. The number one thing that makes me feel old is that sign at the bar that says you must be above this number, like this <laughs> date to order alcohol. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's the mid-90s. I, I remember the mid-90s. Vividly. They were horrible. <laughs> <laughs> they were horrible. <laughs> Who let that happen? The big deal about Kirby Canvas Curse was that it was the first platformer to really uh, take advantage of the DS hardware. Emrys, did you get a DS at launch? You know, I think I did. I traded in my Game Boy Advance for it. You remember, it was a pretty meager pretty meager offering as far as like launch titles, right? Oh, yeah. For like there months. Were like, there were like four games. Yeah, and those four were not worth playing. Right. Uh, like the, the system game came packaged with the Metroid Prime Hunters demo. Yeah. And in addition to that, I picked up Yoshi Touch and Go and Feel the Magic XYXX, which, on the subject of Feel the Magic, it has the honor of being one of the three games ever that was so bad that I traded it in. <laughs> I just wanted something to play on my new system, so I picked that up, and it was a mistake. May, so after, that, that would have been, what, like seven months after the launch of the DS, Kirby yeah. Canvas Curse came out, and finally justified my purchase after it sitting with, like, the battery dead on my nightstand for months. The game was pretty light on story. Uh, an evil witch turned Kirby into a ball and the rest of Dreamland into a painting. But that's really all the story that the game needs, because it's, it's pure gameplay. Um, it's a platformer, but a very different one. It's a weird game in that the player doesn't actually play as Kirby. You play as yourself. And the DS stylus is your paintbrush, and you draw painted lines. You have no actual direct control over Kirby. He merely moves along lines that you draw for him. Yeah. And that's how you control him. Did you ever get a chance to play this? It rings a bell, but I, I can't remember if I played it or a similar game. Anyway, the game encourages you to use these lines in creative ways to guide Kirby past obstacles, whether it's having him roll along that line to, you know, as transportation, or using the lines to defend him from enemy attacks that would otherwise be unavoidable. Um, levels are like fairly wide open and allow you to use the lines to roll through the air and explore them, but you are restricted by having a limited quantity of paint, 
it does recharge, but it only recharges at a rapid rate when you're on solid ground, so, like, there's only so far in the air you can go before you just run out of paint. Kirby also retains his signature copy power ability. Even though he's in his ball form, that, that carries over. So select enemies will give Kirby their power, which you can activate when you tap him with the stylus. You lose that power as soon as you take one hit, though, and you can't reclaim it like you can in other Kirby games, so you have to be really cautious with it. Since the levels are fairly wide open, um, exploration is encouraged to find secrets like metals that are hidden in every level. They're like Super Mario Star Coins, but actually, they, they actually have a purpose other than just like unlocking future levels that you want to play. Um, you can use these metals to purchase unlockables, such as like music tracks or health upgrades or even different balls. They're not even simple reskins. Like you can buy Waddle D, DDD, and Meta Knight. The only ball that can copy is Kirby, so like the others are just kind of regular balls. DDD was the only one that I noticed a significant difference with, just because he's a lot bigger and he's heavier. Like he just feels heavier and slower when you're rolling him but he seems more powerful. I didn't notice a difference with Meta Knight or Waddle Dee other than not being able to copy enemy abilities, but I wasn't paying that close attention to them, to be honest. Instead of boss fights at the end of each level, um, there are mini-games. The mini-games are versus previous Kirby game bosses, such as uh, King DDD, Krakow, and the Paint Roller. They're actually really simple affairs. They're, they're, so, they're almost like iOS mini-games a little bit. Krakow is like a sort of version of Breakout, DDD is a minecart race, and Paint Roller, you have to draw the same shapes as him within a set period of time using the stylus. Honestly, I found the boss fight minigames to be a bit of a letdown and too easy. Uh-huh. But that isn't actually the case with the end fight with um, the witch. named uh, Her name's Drossia. It's a traditional boss fight using the game's untraditional controls, so it shakes things up pretty well. It's challenging, but it's not frustrating, and it keeps with the theme of the game using lines to like both transport Kirby and defend him from enemy attack. It requires decent reflexes, but it's not completely unforgiving. So with that overview of the game, I'm going to go down sort of like the list of good and bad things about it. One of the good things about it is that it retains the feel of a Kirby game, even with the different setup. The story mode of the game is over after only a couple of hours, and it isn't extremely difficult, which is, you know, like most Kirby games. But by no means is this a game that's easy to 100%, just like most Kirby games. There's a mode that opens up called Rainbow Run, which is like time trials, and you get awarded additional medals for completing it. They're unlocked after you complete a level. So finding all of the medals in the regular levels themselves is tricky, but even more so in Rainbow Run. In the regular levels, um, it's difficult because some of them you need certain powers to access them, and as I mentioned earlier, you lose that power from just one hit and you can't get it back, so that frequently means if you get hit, you just have to start the level over and try again. That gets pretty punishing. That's where the challenge for the game comes in, is, you know, 100%ing it, not actually completing it. Yeah. The graphics themselves look to be around, like, GBA level. They're not, like, technically impressive, but the art direction is what stands out. Like, you feel like you're in a world made of paintings. The backgrounds, particularly, are vivid and beautiful, even though the sprite work is simple, they're extremely expressive and well-animated. Like, Kirby as a ball still has a lot of personality. So that was pretty impressive. Overall, like, with video game hardware where it is, I find, you know, technical marvels in the graphics department to be less impressive than just, like, a solid art direction like Wind Waker. Yeah, for sure. 
the music is mostly remixes of older Kirby tunes, but I think a couple of them are actually originals, and even the remixes are good remixes. And some of the remixes are different enough that you don't even realize until, like, a couple minutes of listening to it that, oh, I've heard this before. The levels are also, like, the perfect length. They, ne they never wear out their welcome or become too frustrating, and you don't spend an excessive amount of time on just one of them before you can get to, like, a good save point, which is important for a portable game. Some things about the game that aren't as great... This was a very early touch control game, and a lot of modern touch control games still suffer from the same thing. It's not exactly precise all the time. Like, occasionally you'll tap something you don't want to while you're trying to tap Kirby or, like, a different item in the level. It usually isn't ruining to, like, a, a run on a level, but it can still be annoying when you feel like you're telling Kirby to do one thing and something else entirely happens, or, like, you destroy a block that you didn't mean to, or something like that. Along the same train of thought, this game has a fair number of water levels, and they're so imprecise. Rather than having gravity that works like gravity normally does, you float underwater, so that reverses the way you have to think about lines. And I just find it to be very frustrating, especially because there's currents a lot of the time that will like pull you down or suck you in different directions, and it's just incredibly imprecise. And especially when you're trying to hang on to a power, it can be very frustrating. Those are really the only things that I found that I disliked about the game, where, you know, occasionally controls are a little awkward. Overall, the controls are almost always fine, with a couple rare exceptions. The graphics and music are good, the gameplay is fun, it's an interesting take on a platformer. Replaying it, I found that I had more nostalgia than I expected to for a game that's really only 10 years old. Furthermore, you know, it did the important task of proving that games can be controlled with a touchscreen only. Like, traditional-style hardcore games can use a touchscreen only, and it still works. It was one of the DS's early successes, so it made me feel like I hadn't just wasted, you know, $140 on Nintendo's experiment, essentially. I, I can recommend it to anyone who wants to play it, however, it's not on a virtual console because no DS games are, and cartridges for it are getting a little bit pricey on eBay. Like, a cartridge alone goes for close to $30 on average, and if you want it with, like, the, the DS case and, like, the manual, you're looking at more like 40 to $50. I'm not really sure it's worth that much. It is a fun game, so if you can find it for, you know, less than, like, 40 to $50, I would say it's worth checking out. It is a short main game, but there's a lot of replay in the additional modes and 100% in the game, so if it's something that clicks with you, it's something that you'll end up spending a lot of time playing. Awesome. Yeah. So that's all I had to say about Kirby Canvas Curse. Emerson, was there anything else that you wanted to say before we wrap up? No, I think that's everything. Okay, well, I, I guess that's another episode wrapped up. Uh, thanks for <laughs> listening, and we'll see you next month. Thanks for listening, everybody. Go over to portablePower.popularoutcast.com. Clear your cookies or use incognito mode. Do the shopping that you'd normally do. We'll get a small cut of whatever it is you spend at no additional cost to you. Help us get noticed. Go over to iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe to the Portable Power Podcast. Get in touch with us. Maybe you'd like to send us a game review request or your own answer to our question of the week. You can email us at portablepowerpodcast at gmail.com or use Facebook, facebook.com slash Portable Power Podcast, or get in touch with us on Twitter at Portable Power FM. Drink responsibly and listen to the next episode of the Portable Power Podcast so you can witness what happens when people don't.
90s culture is horrible too like all those like weird brightly colored advertisements and like hip-hop music videos it was a crazy time yeah yeah but that monica Lewinsky, though you know this is a diversion mm -hmm. i think monica Lewinsky took too much abuse in her time I, I, yeah, that didn't, I wasn't actually trying to sound shitty saying that. <laughs> I did have a photograph of her hanging up in my locker. I remember. Since we're on the topic of Monica Lewinsky, I have to say, do you remember when that dress meme was going around and it was blue or black or white and gold? I had pushed it out of my mind, but yeah, I remember now. There was another famous blue dress with white adornment. <laughs> 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 That's horrible. Yeah. Back to a child's game. You have a question of the week? An intro? Well, the question of the week is, if you could erase one video game from history, what would it be and why? Uh, yes. Yep. You came up with that. Like I remember things sometimes. Like ten hours ago. <laughs> this, is, this is what happens with two children. Dude, I <laughs> regret everything.